We are the Riverside chapter of the Messengers of Recovery. We have chapters in Southern California and Arizona. We're a bunch of guys that either rode with the devil or chased him. We're the kind of guys that if you saw us in a crowd, you would think that if he can get sober, then so can I. We decided to throw our chip into the hat and talk about our recovery in the hopes that you can learn from this podcast that you don't have to use or drink even if you want to. We are not A-A-N-A-C-A-S-A, and no one is from the damn DA. Once a week, we hope to bring you the message of recovery from speakers, panels, interviews, and sometimes just a meeting. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to our webpage, www.riversidechaptermor.com. There you can listen to the podcast, ask questions or comments in our forum section, browse our support recovery t-shirts, or just find out a little bit more about us. That's www.riversidechaptermor.com. Uh, today is August 7th. Speaking, we have Kevin and Priscilla. Hi, my name is Kevin. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. Kevin. My sobriety date is October 23rd, 2012. And for that date, I am grateful. It's not my first sobriety date. It's probably my sixth or seventh. But it's the one that matters today, and it's the one that uh, I put the most work into. I used to start a pitch talking about the the alcoholic household that I came from and the people that I surrounded myself with to feel better about myself because it was not cool growing up. It was not good. Mom and dad were married. Mom and dad were divorced. Mom and dad had a bunch of other kids, then got remarried. And all in, the, in all of that, I started writing my story. By the time I was... 17, walking into my senior year, my father was walking into rehab, and I was uh, I was in full flight. I'd already learned how to cheat, steal, lie my way into really whatever I wanted to get. I played baseball. I was arrested twice in high school, and every time the baseball coach uh, basically was like, he was basically my saving grace, uh, my grandmother, God rest her soul. After the first time I got arrested, she taught me the golden rule is that, you know, you don't say shit and you ask for your attorney. While I was 17 years old in high school, getting arrested for extortion and terrorist threats and fucking, I said, I need to speak to my attorney and the cops thought I was a wise guy. So I was in the principal's office asking for an attorney. Yeah, so remarkable enough, like I said, I knew how to get what I wanted to and how I wanted to get it. And I was pitching that next Friday after all that happened. Obviously what comes to follow is, uh, I left the house right before, right after graduation. I was still 17, and um, I moved to Rancho, and I got kicked out of a bunch of places. And then uh, had a better, I met a buddy of mine, and he taught me how to smoke uh, methamphetamine. I literally, um, a lot of people say they didn't put the pipe in your mouth and make you smoke it. He literally had to because I didn't know because I was going to burn the dope. <laughs> so he taught me how to smoke speed. And uh, six months after that, I was in the same rehab facility that my father was in literally a year later. That was my first sobriety date, and that was in May. Long story short, got six months. Then I got, um, went out for about four years. 2006 was my uh, first four-year stint in recovery. I was really involved in young people in recovery. I was really into action and activity. I was more activities than I was action in the program. By the end of that run of sobriety, I had relapsed after fighting with my old lady that's now my wife um, she was pregnant I was uh, selling uh, I was I was selling drugs in recovery the only thing I really wasn't doing was getting loaded and then you know it was one fight and it was one fight that led to another fight and next thing you know um, I was loaded for in and out for about two years uh, I had a daughter in the mix of there I was really involved in music I know a lot about this stuff I mean I have this set up at my house um, for music still it's a huge part of my life you know, and then we, I, I, got, I got clean September. It was like my daughter was born. Okay, so paint the picture. Like I hadn't seen my wife, but at that time my girlfriend, the whole like seventh, like the, the end of the seventh month to like 
told my daughter was born. I, I was MIA. I was on a run. I showed up the morning she was she was having a C-section. I showed up the morning of. I looked around and uh, I was uh, I'd been at that point introduced to um, the non-habit forming opiates forward slash heroin, and uh, they didn't think that I was going to show up. And there I was, bright and early. I was on such a sick one. And I showed up, and they were like, oh, well, we're glad you showed up. And I was like, told you I would, just driven by ego. You know, I was at the lowest part of my life, but I showed up, right? And, like, you know, I paint the picture of that because, like, the, the, the scenario of me and my daughter and, my, and, my, and the mother of my child, now my wife, it was the same thing that my mom was going through with me with my dad. And I was always the biggest advocate. I was like, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like him, you know, because I'm different, right? And there I was walking into the, to the hospital, and I remembered, I was like, I wasn't going to use today. I wasn't going to use today. I have to be present, right? Well, I had, never, I had never gone through any days without using any of that non-habit-forming stuff, right? And what happened was, is that, like, my daughter was born, I was there, it was, it was actually, it was beautiful, I, w- I was there, I was in the moment, I was present, but what started happening is, is that I started, to f- I started to really feel what they call um, uh, withdrawal, and I started, my legs started hurting really bad, my nose was running, and I started feeling that, 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 that uncontrollable, I gotta get the fuck out of here, like, I, you know, and then I start remembering things, and like, uh, I remember I went and took a shower. Uh, they told they were they were forcing me to go take a shower. Everything was kind of calm. While I was gone, they were signing the birth certificate. You know, I was a big advocate that my daughter's last name needed to be on the birth certificate. And you know, I wasn't married. We weren't married. I was. You know, she didn't know if I was going to show up. The plan was is that like I got to be able to take care of these two these at that well now two kids. And if this dude's not around, I got to be able to explain, you know, it was just easier. I understand now, but it was a big resentment of mine that my daughter, that, that wasn't going to get my last name. And, like, I look at it, and because it, it, I didn't get my father's last name. The only reason I got my father's last name is because he punked the DMV person to fucking put it on the driver's license when I got my physical form of identification. My birth certificate still says Arthur on it. You know, that's not my last fucking name. You know what I mean? So it was history repeating itself, and in the middle of it, you know, they tried, they had to do it because they knew how I felt about it. And I came back and then me and my father-in-law um, basically had the police called on us. We were out in front of Corona Regional with the police there. And the following night, I kind of needed to maneuver myself out because I needed to get loaded. I had to. I remember I had dropped, uh, I had dropped at that point, it was an Oxycontin down in between some seats. And I remembered it was in between my seats and I remember I never could get it, but I knew it was there. So I'm just laying there, my beautiful daughter, my, it was calm. And all I could think about was how I was going to get my seat out of my Ultima so I could get that to feel better. And I was like, I'm going to go get us food. You know what I mean? I was trying to like maneuver my way out. And she was like, oh, that'd be great. Go to so-and-so. And I went. I got loaded and I didn't get loaded. I, it, it didn't do anything and I was furious. I found it, I mean, I'm in there wrenching on my, my seat. I got my seat out of my Ultima at 7-Eleven on 6th Street in Corona. I'm freaking. I found it. I got it into me as quick as I could and it did nothing. Smoked a joint on the way back to the hospital, went back, my, 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 my wife kicked me out of the hospital. The next day I went to Charlie Street. Another sobriety date, wasn't clean yet. Music was still important. I was still trying. I mean, I was in a, I was in an indigent detox, and I'd maneuver my way out to go play a show and come back before midnight. I mean, I, this is what I'm saying. When I talk about how I could get what I wanted and do what I needed to do and how I could convince you to give me what I wanted, I was at a, I was at freaking Charlie Street, and I went and played a show. I went and played a fucking show in the middle of detox. I say it's over, but I, I mean, so anyway, so that wasn't my sobriety day dinner. I came back home. We moved into a, we moved into a spot. I had about four and a half months, and she relapsed. I relapsed the next night. We came back from Las Vegas because we were both in the, she was doing makeup for this, this show, and I was playing this show. It was a two-day, three-day festival. We were like, we're going to be okay. But I didn't tell her. I did not tell her that I got loaded. I, I didn't tell her until she found me stealing more of her non-habit-forming pills. Uh, when I went to go to my, my, my apprenticeship school and she counted them and she said, oh my God, you're stealing pills from me. Why? And I was like, um, she knew I was loaded. So then we were loaded together. We're going to make this work. We're going to make this work. We're going to do this. And, um, it lasted about four months. 
So that whole time that I was uh, just getting loaded as the boyfriend out on the streets, well, a lot of secrets had came back up to fruition. The truth had came out. I had been exposed. We split. I moved on to Costa Mesa. And um, this was this sobriety date. And this sobriety date was a lot different because I had tried every single avenue to reclaim a sobriety date and think that it was going to be different in any which way that I, that I went. And... Went out, went out a drug addict, came back in an alcoholic. Went out an alcoholic, came back in a heroin addict or an opiate addict. I would, you know, speed was a, a portion of my late teens, early 20s. You know, um, hallucinogenics. You know, I was a fucking garbage disposal. You know, and uh, in like, uh, so 2012, October, um, she's, still, she's still loaded. And uh, I'm, uh, I say, I got to get the fuck out of here. So I go back down to Costa Mesa and I check into a sober living and I had this grandiose plan that I was going to have my unemployment sent there. I was going to use this, uh, this sober living like a detox. I was going to be by the beach. I was going to go to meetings and everything was going to be cool. Well, when I left for, when my daughter was born, because this is like a year later, I'd walked off a job. I wasn't getting unemployment. I had no car because the car just got fucking repossessed three days before I went to rehab. I tried to pawn my laptop with all my music stuff on it. They were going to give me 50 bucks. And I was, one more time, I had a great plan, and that was not the plan. So I'm down in, I'm down in Costa Mesa, literally at ground zero again. Um, I call him my Eskimo. His name's Rob. He's getting ready to get married. He was a, a white-collar scumbag out of Orange County. He's been sober now almost 12 years, 13 years. He's a really good friend of mine still. And uh, at the time, he was still being creative on how he was creating finances. And um, he was like, dude, I got your rent for three months. Don't trip. And I was like, what the hell? blessing and i'll take advantage of that too i was like you want to do six we can get six i mean I'll, I'll give you six months of sobriety you give me six months of rent right and he started laughing and i just started working angles right i had a buddy of mine that he's like hey i got work for you i was like dude i don't got a car he's like dude it's in it's in san diego i said yeah still don't got a car i, I can't get there there's guys that are leaving like huntington beach they'll pick you up and just bring you home and i was like all right cool and so I went to work, you know, in that whole time frame, I, I, um, I journeyed out as a carpenter, um, metal stud framing drywall, and what a blessing that was because it really came in handy this year, you know. Um, um, so basically, uh, I'm, down in the, uh, I'm down in San Diego, and um, I'm trying to hit meetings. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a hotel room with a bunch of Hispanic gentlemen that just drink Tecate, and they're barbecuing right there, and I'm like three, four days sober, and like, I'm watching this all happen and it's so crazy that my life got so bad that like it wasn't even appealing to me. I just knew I needed to get to meetings. You know, I didn't have the obsession. Like it wasn't like I had like it wasn't enough. You know what I'm saying? Like this this ice chest wasn't enough. And whatever they did to if they were going to, you know, if they were going to do some yayo or they were going to blast some speed in the middle of the night to keep it going through the night, it still wasn't enough. And like that feeling that I had, I'm so grateful because it was like it was the complete removal of that obsession. And, and, and for someone like me that's been through the 12 steps, you know, started meetings, led meetings, fucking did speaking arrangements, heads of conventions, all of this stuff to be back at ground zero with four days with all of these people. Like, I didn't want that. I was more attracted to what I had before in a different way. I didn't know it then, but I, I just knew that I needed to be sober. And um, I was working a couple, I worked there for about a week. And then one of the guys that showed up there to hang board was like, Hey, there's a job site in Costa Mesa. Don't you live in Costa Mesa? And I'm like, yeah, bro, where's the job site? It was two blocks from my house where I was staying. So one more time, God was like, look, dude, you meet me this far. And that's how my God works. And I'll get to the steps and all that stuff. Right. So like, this is how my God works. And, and he gives me a little bit and I got to meet him halfway in the beginning. Now it's a whole different ball game. My relationship with God is ever evolving right so at that point i had a sign from god that hey you're doing the right thing i'm gonna take care of you and so i ended up riding a bike to work till i saved up enough money and got a car and like i was i was in costa mesa i you know i didn't have my daughter for about 30 days and um i was kind of working the system with unemployment and i was working the system with getting cash and like so i'd saved up some money really quick got a car and then next thing you know in this sober living i'm renting out a full bedroom so my daughter could come there because my my wife now she had decided to get sober as well. We got we, our sobriety dates are about seven days apart, but she made sure that she uh, 
she let me feel her getting sober this time too because the same all those skeletons that came out during um my uh exit she'd let me know her skeleton so i just you know just so i could feel it right before she got sober right yeah my wife's great she's something else i tell you um <laughs> the gentleman some gentlemen here know her and she's uh god bless her soul so anyway, so I'm in Costa Mesa. I'm getting Berlin every other weekend. Um, I'm sober. I'm going to meetings every night. You know, and that's what I can encourage anybody listening to this is that um, I was in meetings every fucking night. You know what I'm saying? Like, I needed to reprogram myself in a different perspective that, like, this is my life. You know, I have a lot of different ideas on how sobriety works and sponsorship works and whatever works for you at that time. Do, you know, do it. And if it doesn't, if it stops working, find something else to do it because ultimate sacrifice and losing your sobriety date, it's, it's not a, it's not an option anymore, you know, for me. So come into some scratch, me and my buddy, we start a vape shop. Next thing you know, I'm making e-liquid, the vape stuff for people all over the country. I travel the world. I'm like three, four years sober. You know, me and my wife now, we, we were split up for about a year and a half. You know, she, um, we both had to redevelop a foundation for both of us to love ourselves for in order for us to love them. And, um, you know, we got, uh, we got engaged in um, Mother's Day weekend of 2015. We were out of the country. It was beautiful. It was a gift of recovery. We came home and we got a, we got a place, the place that we live in now. She's still sober. I'm still sober. And we've got, uh, we got married in March of 2017. We got a little, we got three kids, going to be 13, going to be 10, and going to be nine. And uh, we're very active in their lives. Last year, not last year, we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about, you know, leading uh, 2019, end of 2019. You know, I, I walked away from that vape business and the industry got funny before I left that business. Right around 2016, I purchased my first motorcycle. I drove to Arizona and I got a, uh, a chopper. It was, what a, God, what an idiot I was. I wasted so much money on that motorcycle. Oh, it was a 1200 Buell engine on a Paco hardtail. And I thought I was going to ride that bitch back from Arizona. Oh, man. So I had a boy take me out there. It's past Havasu, right? And I got there and I got on thing. And it was my first motorcycle. It was my, and, and I'd always, I'd always hung out with a lot of people that were involved with motorcycle organizations. I, respect and love the brotherhood that you guys carry for each other and how serious you guys take it. I know a lot of people, a lot of people in my life. And right now in this phase of my life, it's just not time. And I know that, but I've always had a passion for Harley Davidson's and I bought my first motorcycle. It was cheap. It was 3,600 bucks and it was a piece of shit. I wish I had a my buddy got back and said, I just sold you my Dyna for six grand and you made payments to me. And I was like, God damn it, dude. So Anyways, the cool part about that motorcycle was is that I learned to take a motorcycle apart. I learned how to motorcycle work. I learned how to weld on a frame that got cracked when I was riding. I know how to fix my belts. I mean, I knew how to work on that type of motorcycle. Well, I had enough of working on that motorcycle, and I bought myself a Dyna because I didn't want to work on this motorcycle anymore. You know, I could change the oil. I can go take it to a tire shop, and I just wanted to ride it. You know what I'm saying? And I had too much going on. I did not want to be a mechanic. And so I traded that Dyna and a Cadillac for a road glide and I actually got into my first motorcycle accident on a guy strip I take every year. And um, from that motorcycle accident, going back forward, I got some money from that motorcycle accident and I started a business. And that's why I left that vape business was to start a construction business because I was over it. And so I, I, me and my business partner, there were some things going on and um, long story short, uh, I started this new business venture and long story, and then coronavirus affected it. We, we poured all of our money into this new business. We, we were getting ready to, me and my wife were starting our own thing. I was going to get a residual from the vape company and I was going to start this and coronavirus happened. And basically we had to start over. We basically, we lost everything. Um, any money we had tied up, we had, we were looking at the future. We were prepared and the, the pandemic really affected us. And um, that's really when I get back to like, let's get back to like the recovery part, right? Because here I am, I was, I was top dog, driven by ego. Nothing could stop me. I had everything that I could possibly want financially, home, had her, had it, motorcycle, car, Cadillac, everything. And then there I was dodging my landlord, you know, and I was, uh, I was, I had, I had no perspective on how God 
would do this to us, right? I was blaming God. I was blaming a lot of these things. And I had to remember that when we come into any type of fellowship for recovery, the only thing that we're fucking promised is our sobriety date. The only thing that we get from that sobriety date is what we put into our sobriety date. And I had to remember all of these things had to like come to a head because this physical world that we live in, shit's going to happen. Shit's going to happen and shit's going to change. But what I had to get back down to was the basics. Step one, I'm powerless over this. You know, step two, I had to I had to come back into this trust of this higher power, that same higher power that put me on this plane, that put me back in love with my wife, that made the dad that I am, that gave me my sobriety date one day at a time, is the same one I'm gonna have to trust when shit gets bad. And a lot of people talk about that in recovery, is that like when when things when the rubber meets the road is when you'll find out how grounded you are in a spiritual idea that it's gonna save your life. And I had, to, I had to come to grips with that is that my my relationship with God was solely to pace, so, solely dependent on the, the, the effort I made into that. And so what I did was is I showed back up to a Tuesday night men's meeting and I I walked in there and said, listen, dude, I'm insane and I want to fucking put a bullet between my ears. That's the truth. And they said, welcome back. He said, you still got your same sobriety? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, you got a chance. I said, and, and right then and there, right then and there, I just got kind of chill saying it right now. And I felt that overcoming, over, overwhelming um, sense of everything is going to be okay. You know, I, I didn't make that ultimate sacrifice either or if it looks like a bullet or if it looks like a rig. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't matter or a bottle, you know, and, and, and I, um, I, I hold on to that date almost closer than my sobriety date. And it was, uh, it was, a, year, it was a year and two months ago. I haven't missed that meeting since then. Got about, I got two different sponsees right now because then they started reminding me that I got to keep this, I got to give it away. Whatever, whatever fellowship that looks like, that's the same idea. You have to give this away to keep it, right? And, and I got caught up in me, you know, and this, this guy that I'm sponsoring now, he just took nine months and he came back in and I saw the pain in his eyes at Tuesday night meeting and uh, I said, I'm going to sponsor you, bro. And he said, dude, fuck you. I'm like, all right, I understand. He said, what gives you the, what, what makes you, and he was drunk, you know, so I kind of had to take it all, with the, I could tell, you know, and he was like, what, what in your right mind thinks I would even let you come close to me? And I'm thinking to myself, Jesus Christ, what, I didn't, what I do to this guy? You know, and I think about that time, the way that I was carrying myself, right, at the high horse of my life, and the way that I was carrying myself, and how I presented myself to people with ego, and this, um, this, this attitude of like, because I, I got to, I don't care how much God's involved. I'm a, I'm a, I'll tell you how it is from my perspective. I still do that. And it's, it's something that I work on because some will look at it as a character defect and some of it will look as a, uh, an asset. And sometimes, um, you know, I'll tell you how I think it is, but like, don't come at me with an uncomfortable conversation about my parents because I'll run away from it. You know what I'm saying? Or don't come at me in an uncomfortable conversation about money because I don't want to talk about it because it's uncomfortable, but I'll tell you how the fuck it is. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm backwards sometimes. So anyway, so this guy tells me this, and I'm just like, I completely understand. But the, where I was then, and the, how honestly I'm speaking day, that I don't want to carry myself like that. You know, um, I'm a bigger dude. I, I'm tattooed. I'm, I have these eyebrows that say, "Don't fucking talk to me." Sometimes, and like, uh, but at the end of the day, like, if you come in this program and you come into this fellowship and you ask me for help, I'll do anything I can to help you. You can sleep on my couch. I'll pick you up. I'm not going to give you more than a hundred bucks in a year, but I'll, I'll help you out if you need smokes. I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to have fucking nothing again and trying to get sober. And, um, you know, um, and I'll meet you halfway. I'll crack this book open with you. I'll get down to the same spiritual principles that were laid at my feet and I'll show you how to do this, you know, because that's the, again, one more time. That's the only thing that we get promised here, right? You know, is, is a sobriety date and a, and a different set of perspective and tools to how to handle some of this shit. And, um, He's got sober nine months, you know, he's sober nine months now. And um, I was sponsoring a guy um, out of prison. He'd, he'd done a, fuck, man, poor guy. Um, did did eight and then he did 13. Came out, he got sober inside. He had about nine and uh, he met her. And he's been back on the streets. He's absconding and, he, you know, he's getting ready to go back to prison for the rest of his life. And because, you know, um, he didn't decide to do what we do. You know, and whatever that looks like for any for anybody, you know, like somebody, you know, they might need to run with a pack of dudes. You know, some of them need to run, you know, have a set schedule. Somebody needs sometimes somebody needs help. Sit down, shut the fuck up and listen. Don't talk. You don't know nothing right now. And, and then like and some people need to be left alone and they need to be. 
introverted and you know they need to read and they need the proof and all this stuff and it's like you know i, I had to get ri- i had to get away from the proof that this was going to work and get better and just start practicing that thing called faith you know and, and i can't i can't portray that to anybody but hopefully by working the steps and having a sponsor and attending meetings and being a service all of this stuff you know someone can reprogram you or maybe you know you get a little bit better relationship with your god and and you can understand some of the things and like I know that uh, my life today is uh, a direct result of being sober in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous in the fellowship. I encourage anybody that has a hard time with finding identity in either fellowship that they decide to run to, that that they feel comfortable. And if they feel that they weren't an alcoholic, but they were more of a drug addict, well, you know, um, hopefully you don't have to do all that research that a lot of us have to to do to find that identity and just identify and be that wherever you are, you know. Because we're great at wearing different coats. We're, 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 we're great at being different. But when it comes time to make excuses to be better, um, you know, it, I don't know. But coming up on nine years, I've never been sober this long. I've never been married this long. I've never been a dad this long. And I can still remember that that day. That day, it was a Tuesday night. It was three days after I decided to throw in the towel one more time and wave the white flag. And I was in a meeting with like 150 dudes. I was in Corona Del Mar, a bunch of rich dudes, you know. And there I am, broke, nothing, nothing, zero. And I was in a room full of dudes, and I heard the, the laughter, the cheer, all of this stuff, happiness. And, like, you know, I'm that kid from Corona that had this amount of time in my head, and I'm alone, and I'm miserable. And, like, I never wanted to feel that again, you know. And um, I think we have great forgetters on how bad shit really was in – I don't ever want to forget that feeling. Anybody that has had it really bad, sometimes people's stories are worse than others. And, you know, high bottom, low bottom, it doesn't matter. You know, find yourself a, a passion, you know. Um, and, and when you get to Alcoholics Anonymous, like I said, I started businesses. I've, I've done this right now. You, you know, most of you wouldn't believe me if I told you what I'm doing, you know. And, and I know that it's okay. And I know that I'm uh, reaching for the stars because I have the hope. I have hope here. I get hope here. Uh, I've acquired some pretty good quality days, even when the bad ones are pretty bad. And uh, whoever's listening to this, wherever they are, if you're new or renew or new and should be new, um, fuck, dude. Find somebody that you can just hold their coattail, man, and, 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 and watch your life change. It's, it, it's, it's changed millions of people's lives. And even if you're struggling to come back, it gets better and it's okay. I'm really grateful that uh, Lee and the messengers asked me to come do this. Um, got a lot of respect for a lot of the guys in this room. Thanks for letting me share. Hi, I'm Priscilla. I'm an alcoholic. Priscilla. Hello, everyone. I'm a grateful alcoholic. And I, oh, my sobriety date is June 26, 2017. I just celebrated four years. I'm very grateful that I've, for the program, it's really blessed me. So, just like a lot of us in the program, you know, we come broken into this program. Traumas, all kinds of different life traumas. Um, you know, I grew up in, in a home, you know, I had a mom and dad for the most part. My dad had this dream I always knew like when um my dad raised us to like all if we wanted to accomplish something to go for it and he always had this dream dream about being a police officer and um growing up like he kept he never gave up on it and he finally became a police officer and um I think that's like really when our household changed prior to that you know dad worked for the water company and and he was home all the time and we got to celebrate holidays and you know hang out and once he became a police officer that changed a lot i remember like him bringing over his cop friends and they're hanging out and him telling me go to the fridge and get me a beer and you know so the the history was there my um now that i look back at it and as i was doing step work i see how early on the the alcoholism in our family that it was there and I, I just never saw it I thought it was normal 
you know my grandmother passed away which is my dad's mom of um cirrhosis of the liver um you know i had uncle my godfather pat which was her son passed away of cirrhosis of the liver so it was there i just thought this is normal this is what we do this is life and when my dad became a police officer and it changed our household you know um my outlook on life became different all of a sudden you know dad's a cop and well it wasn't all of a sudden but now our lifestyle changed my I don't know um how to explain it but like we my dad had all of a sudden had like brought this power into this house like we were invincible he's a police officer you know so we would have these parties and um eventually my mom walked away from it and um I was a daddy's girl, so I was like, how dare you leave my dad? I'm staying with my dad, you know. Um, And that was like, I was about 15 when my parents got divorced, and I wanted to be with dad. And prior to that, I I think that was the most, for me, as I did step work and learning, um, that was probably the, the, the breaking point for me, the most traumatic event in my life. Prior to that, like, I, I, I was, you know, I, I was molested as a little girl. And, and then later on in life, I was raped. Um, but when my mom chose to leave my dad, for me, that was like, it just, I don't know how to explain it, but it was, it was really hard. And I ended up being with my dad, and then that's when life really got crazy, you know. Um, I, I thought I was invincible. And then I started living this double life because you know dad still required me to go to school and get good grades so I did all that you know I was I played soft sports I I I did what dad wanted me to do but on the other back end I was in the wrong places at the you know doing the wrong things and then and then I I was a dummy because I would do it in the town we lived in and 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 my dad would find out you know or his cop buddies would be like yo we we just did this raid and your daughter's sitting here and we got her on the curb what you want us to do you know I remember I I got busted in a jeep in a stolen car and my dad let them take me to juvenile hall and I was like what you know so yeah that yeah I was not happy about that so in it, it was just an interesting life as I look back at it and then I started like once my dad started getting promoted in the department he was around less so I had more free free time to hang out and he ended up getting remarried and me and uh my uh, stepmom didn't get along she didn't like I had a brother I have a brother and sister and she didn't like us so she made it um made quite sure that we didn't have a relationship with my dad and um I lived with them and my dad uh you know we I had to have like my own little relationship with my dad because when she was around we just my dad was yeah it was just crazy and and so like I would say like around once I got my license because I used to get around on a moped because you didn't need a license for that you know so I would get around on a moped and then once I got my license my dad bought me a car and it was on and cracking because now I knew people and I was already doing dirty things and yeah I got involved in some some stuff that I shouldn't have been that a cop's daughter shouldn't be involved in and and things got a, a bit crazy and uh then I got pregnant at 17 And my dad was really pissed off. I ended up leaving because uh, my dad was really angry. And so I was kind of like, like homeless. But then my mom came to look for me because I was living with friends. I was bouncing around. And so my mom came and looked for me and she found me. And I remember I was at the park. She had me go meet her at this park. And she was like, I heard you're pregnant. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) like, yeah. And, I, and at that time, I was already doing meth, amphetamines, and, um, and I was pregnant. And so she was like, you're so skinny. Like, you know, she, to her seeing me was very heartbreaking for her. And, and, at, and at that time, I was also able to find a job at Wienerschnitzel. So I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm into, I, you know, obviously we got to support our habits. So now I'm going to work at Wienerschnitzel so I can make sure I got my habit covered. Like, that's all I needed to work at Wiener Central for. Like, we just need this, you know. And um, and so I met her at the park, and she 
asked me to come and live with her and I told her I need to think about this and and then um I went she, I went to work and my grandmother uh, my mom's mom who's passed away um she showed up at my job and she was like please like we're here to help you you know like go go to your mom's and so I ended up moving to my mom's had my baby and I thought life was going to be okay like okay I can do this I um stop you know got off the drugs I didn't like go to rehab or anything I tried to do this all cold turkey because god forbid you know I'm, I'm the cop's daughter now you know no one can find out that his daughter's a dope being you know dope addict you know and so um but then I started drinking you know I mean alcohol was always there but now since now there was no more drugs it's like all alcohol is just partying and then um I, I got put in therapy and memories because I had uh, blocked out a lot of like from nine to uh, about 16 ish I had blocked that all out I couldn't remember so they had me in therapy and they did this EDMR thing and all these memories came flooding and when that happened that triggered me it was I was like what in the world like I remembered details from my rape I remembered them um, being molested um everything came back and I don't know why they 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 want they didn't want me drinking so they figured therapy was going to help my party mode and it didn't help like I'm like now I'm now I'm going home with all these memories and trying to figure this out like and then I was like, well, is that a memory? Is that not a memory? Like, I felt like I was getting crazy. And I was like, what, maybe like 21 years old, you know? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm crazy. Like, what's a memory? What's not a memory? And I stayed in therapy for, like, maybe a couple of years. And and um, it just, I was getting worse. Like, my drinking was getting worse. I, yeah, it got really bad <clears throat> for a long time. And I used the drinking to numb the feelings. You know, just to numb everything, just to forget everything or try to forget everything. Once all that came back and came to life, I started living life like I was like, you know what? No, nah, fuck all you guys. Like, I'm going to live life how I want now. I've, I've tried to do it your way. We did therapy. We la la la. I go, I'm going to party. I'm going to party like a rock star. And don't forget, when I die, put a fucking 12 pack in my casket because I need that wherever I'm ending up at. And, um, I just partied a lot, and I went through men a lot. Um, they were, you know, like a re like a fucking revolving door. You know, I didn't have no respect for myself. I didn't have no respect for men, relationships. Um, I did whatever I wanted to do. You know, I d and I even developed this name called Black Widow. Like all my female friends was like, "She's a Black Widow. Stay away from her." Like warning dudes you know because they're like you're, you'll be done when she's done with you like just stay away from her <laughs> like if you want to survive <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I'm like wow they even bought me a shirt which I still have and I sometimes I go in that box of treasures and I'm like wow I can't believe I still have this I should toss it but it says black widow like I'm like I can't believe you guys are feel that way about me um so like you know, I went through life just drinking a lot. Then I would smoke. And then I started smoking weed. And, you know, that was always kind of around. But not, it wasn't a, like, I wasn't really heavy into it. And then um, I got married. And then I got divorced. And I just kept drinking through it all. Like, as long as I just keep drinking, I can get through life. Whatever bullshit life um, hands at me. And then, um, fast forward, this... Uh, in, in between all that, I, I was trying to also find a way, like, there was those days where I would get, like, that moment of clarity and wanted to, like, stop drinking. Like, I just, I I'm tired. I'm tired of feeling sick. I'm tired of being hungover. I'm tired. I'm tired. And at that time, too, I was also going to school. Like, people were like, how are you doing all this? You party till, like, 4 a.m., you go to work, and then you go to class, and, like, where are you finding the energy for this? And I'm like, I was just on one. Like, I was just on it and I got to a point where I would try church and I'd be like okay they say God's at church so let me go try church and I would try church I even became the director of Sunday school because I was trying to find God you know and trying to just find a, a way to just feel 
peace and joy, which I found in this program. And so fast forward, I got divorced from the first husband, um, lived and partied the single life for a bit, and then I end up finding this guy um, online, obviously. And uh, and he he seemed like a really good guy, and we started dating, and he was in the program. And I, at that time, I was still partying. So it was weird. When we started dating, he was like, well, I can't, I don't want to kiss you or like, you know, if you're going to drink, like we probably shouldn't hang out. Like, cause he was in the program and he was really at the time I, I felt he was working the program to the, the best of his ability. So I, that's when I learned about the program. Cause I'm like, what the hell is this program thing? Like what, you know? And then I would um, attend open meetings with him. And then that's when I was like, Oh, interesting. Well, no, no, I'm not ready for this. So then what I ended up doing was I ended up going to Al-Anon meetings because they had suggested that, oh, well, since you're dating an addict, you know, that you should support him by going to Al-Anon meetings so you could have the tools to, you know, deal with him. And I thought, oh, I could do that. So I started Al-Anon meetings in L.A. And because um, he lived out in L.A., we were out in L.A. And, um, and that's how I got introduced to the program. And then as I saw people grow that I saw that came in and then they would grow and get, you know, all these blessings and their, their, their lives were just better. But at that time I was still like drinking a little, not as much, but well, I was, but yeah, I still was drinking a lot, but I was sneaking it because he didn't, he wasn't aware that I was still out there doing that. He thought I was just being the social drinker, but I wasn't. Um, so anyways, we ended up getting married and we were married on his fifth year he relapsed and it was kind of weird because he relapsed and i came in because i would like it it was i don't know it was crazy like we got in this huge fight and i remember june 25th this huge fight at lake paris I, I was pissed off because they took my alcohol from me and I was mad. And so apparently, which I ended up being a blackout drunk that day. I don't remember a lot, <laughs> but apparently I, he was, he's like six, two big guy. And I wanted to get, you know, crazy on him. And I was trying to smack him and I was like, give me my damn vodka. And I, I got really ugly at the lake. Apparently I was like, and he left, he, we, he left. Here I'm thinking, oh, my God, like the next day when, on June 26th when I woke up and realized he was gone, that he left me um, and because he, he said, he, I'm done. I can't do your drinking. So here I'm like, God, he's in the program. He's doing these amazing things. Like, let me try this, right? I want to save my marriage. I came in thinking I'm going to save my marriage. God had a different plan. It, it amazes me how God, my higher power, never gave up on me and he and he knew I was looking for him like he was always there I didn't really have to look far but I just chose a different direction and it's it's like I I made decisions to just be a knucklehead you know he he was always there so when I came into the program on June 26th was my first uh meeting um I thought I was going to fix my marriage and, like, tell my hubby, oh, look, I'm getting sober. I'm going to do this thing. We can do it together, la, la, la. And when I told him I went to my first meeting, he was like, okay, yeah, that's good. I'm glad, you know. But little did I know he already had relapsed before I came in, probably like a month before, which it, it ends up making sense later because I was like, that, uh, that makes sense why you were always angry. And here I'm thinking he was pissed off because I'm drinking, which was probably part of it too. But, you know, but he was getting high. He was, and when he couldn't get away from the house because, I, you know, he, and he was going through his withdrawals or sleeping all day. And I'd be like, why the fuck are you sleeping all day and not going to work? Now it all makes sense. So he, I ended up finding he relapsed. And he, um, he, 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 it got really ugly. Um, I'm in the program new. 
and the fog oh my gosh because I had drank all my life you know from like God forever and when the my first 90 days are very uh like that it was just I was fogged out like everything was just like cloudy to me and I kept saying where's that pink cloud that everyone talks about like I, I want to feel that peace that joy and it, it took me after the 90 days for that clog to finally lift and feel like okay I'm alive because I didn't feel alive and I kept thinking well this motherfucker relapsed and so what am I even doing here like and people kept telling me in the program stay stay keep coming back keep coming back and I would be at the meetings crying my head off because I'd be like why am I here like I knew why I was there I'm an alcoholic but like I was like when I'm here to save my marriage what's already done because he's out there he's running the streets he's doing his thing he was he started I, I found out so much that my dad ends up calling me telling me he was selling dope out of my our garage and my house was being watched and he was like you need to get that motherfucker out of that house and I'm like how, how am I gonna do that like I would, and I hear I'm newly sober. This was like 60 days into the program. My dad's telling me my house is going to be raided. And, I'm, and I have my boys living there. And my dad's like, they will take everybody, Priscilla. And I'm like, wow, my boys have no street smarts. They would be crying. Like, I'm like, no, I can't do this. So the, the, the marriage was obviously getting ugly. And, um, but I'm grateful for it because it brought me here and I've been blessed with many friends sisters I have a clear mind I know what peace is I know what joy is and most importantly I know how to live life now on life's terms you know I don't give a whatever's going on or whatever is thrown my way I know pray or go to my book or, you know, I have tools in my toolbox to, to get through life and not run to alcohol like I'm used to. Um, even like, you know, with my attitude or my character defects, I know how to work through those. And that's what it is. It's working through and not working over it or under it or around it. You work through it. And that's what this program has taught me. I'm blessed. I, um, through the midst of all that, uh, that was like two years of um, trying to save my marriage, get sober and learn and learn to love myself because obviously I wasn't loving myself and I lost a job and a really good job. So I know what it's like to be on the top and then <laughs> so I've learned humility and how to be humble in this program. I'm just so blessed. I, I'm like so humble and so chill that it even shocks me at times because I'm such a, like, like I shared earlier at the beginning, my dad always taught us to go after it, go after it. And now I'm like, oh, I've been there, done that. I'm good right here. You know, it's not that I'm like in a comfort zone or anything, but I'm just blessed with what I have. Because when you have everything and lose it all, you know, you're like, wow. Cause it goes like that. You know, I mean, I, I did, we had, we had, I had a good life when I was up there with the job and all, all the extracurricular activities that went on in, in between, you know, from but before I got sober. And, and I'm blessed. I'm, I'm very humbled that my life, as I look back at it now and the experiences and the different traumatic events that took place, got me here. So I'm okay with them. I'm okay with what I had to go through to get here and to be the person I am today. And I know that every day is a, is a new day and it gives me an opportunity to be uh, better than I was yesterday and to give my best, you know, put my best out there because my best could be different from your best, you know, and it's just doing my best. And I'm very grateful for that. I ended up getting divorced. Um, he, he ended up going back to prison. So he, he, uh, did a little bit of time when he got out of prison, he did try to contact me and try to fix things. Um, but I already had moved on and I was okay with letting that go. Um, 
and when I say moved on, I moved on as a person and, and in the program, I felt like, no, I'm, I'm pretty solid. I'm, I'm okay with not being married, <laughs> like not being married, you know? Um, and, um, from what I understand, he's, he's back out there doing what he knows. And, and, and I pray for him every day. He's in my prayers. He's on my prayer list. Um, and like I said, I'm thankful that I have this program. I, it, it, oh God. Um, if you're a newcomer, just hang in there. Don't give up. Keep coming back like they say. There's so much love here, and it's true, unique love, like, and an understanding that. No, it's, I can't even explain it. Like, I can't even find the words. And there's a lot of words in the English language. But, you know, it's like when you try to describe what it's like to be home, I don't think anyone really understands but us what it's like to be home, you know, because this is home. Like, it's a building, yeah, but when you're with your people and people who get you and who've traveled this similar roads as you, that's home. And and even with the pandemic, I was like, ooh, I don't want to be around them people. Like, not, but with my people, I'm good with. But, like, out there, I'm good. I don't need to go to the fair. I don't need to do any of this. I'm okay. Well, let me be with my people because this is home. And, um... I'm just so grateful. Um, this program's given me a lot of hope. I've been blessed with the new job. I've got a roof over my head. My, me and my boys have been restored because that marriage did drive a wedge between us. And I've learned also empathy in this program because um, I, I do have a brother and sister that are addicts also. You know, being the cops' kids, we're invincible. We can do whatever the hell we want. and. Um, and I pray for them because I, I learned in the program, although their addiction, um, their choice is different than what mine is, alcohol, they're, um, they're lost. My brother just got out of prison, and he's already back out there. And he's, he's just been out a month, and he's already OD'd on the, the heroin that's out on the streets right now. You know, and, and it, it breaks my heart because I, I have to do, I'm still working on my ninth step. And I have to do that amends with him. And I can't even reach him because I, and I feel like sometimes in my heart these last few days, I'm like, okay, Lord, help me find him. Because maybe I'm the one that's going to help him, you know, by making that amends and telling him, look, I'm in the program, you know, because he doesn't know. And um, it's just life has been good since I've gotten sober and I'm very grateful that I uh, went through the journey I did. I would like to say thank you for letting me share. <laughs> I felt like I was all over the place. That was it for tonight from the Messengers of Recovery, Riverside. Make sure you tune in next week.